Welcome to InsureTalk, the podcast where we don't just talk about innovative ideas in PNC insurance. We talk with industry trailblazers about the big ideas they made happen and how they did it. This podcast is brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. Visit guidewire.com for more information. And now, let's make it happen. Welcome to InsureTalk. My name is Laura Dravik, and I'm the Chief Evangelist at Guidewire. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Stephen Van Bellaham, international keynote speaker, author, entrepreneur, and my co-presenter at two Guidewire user conferences. Stephen is a global thought leader in the field of customer experience, and that will be the focus of today's discussion how organizations create a differentiating customer experience that will allow them to win the hearts and the business of customers over and over again. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for joining my podcast. Hey, Laura. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Tell our listeners about yourself and how you spread your thoughtful ideas about the future of customer experience. So my core focus is to do research about the future of customer experience and share those ideas on multiple platforms. I've written five books on on the topic. And I share a lot on social media. So people can find me on YouTube. I have my own blog. I share a lot on LinkedIn, on Instagram. And it's the core of my passion just to share ideas and inspire companies to do a better job in making their customers happy. Yes. And you do a very good job of it, of inspiring people, including myself. Thank you. In your book, The Day After Tomorrow, you explain that we are entering a new third phase of digital transformation. The first phase was making data accessible. The second phase was about mobile and communication. And the third new phase is about artificial intelligence with companies moving from a mobile first strategy to an AI or artificial intelligence first strategy. Can you elaborate on this? Sure. I I think the big change that we've seen, let's say between the early days of the internet and then 2015, 2016 was the shift in platform. So we we used to start with the desktop and, and then went surfing. Then we moved to mobile. It took a while before every company really knew that they had to go on mobile. Now everyone is on the new platform. But now you see that automation becomes crucial to, to make a difference. And that bigger companies are now understanding that everyone is becoming an artificial intelligence organization. Because if you want to deliver a certain level of service, you need that automation. If you look at the trend of what people expect, the effort that people want to put into discovering your company and your apps and your applications is close to zero right now. So without automation and without leveraging the data that you have, it becomes very, very difficult for organizations to actually fulfill customer expectations. And if you look around, you you see that it's happening right now. Like a couple of weeks ago, you may have seen this, Laura, Elon Musk gave a new presentation where he talked about his humanoid robot that he wanted to launch. It was a little bit a crazy presentation. But at the same time, he said something else. He said, you know what? We're, we're not a car company. We're not a software company. We're an AI company. And our future is AI. We want to create autonomous driving. That's AI. And we want to create this crazy looking robot. That's going to be AI. So, so you see how all these companies are really putting their efforts into it. And it's going to become commonplace really, really soon for, for us customers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yes, I did see Elon Musk premiere of the robot. Um, <laughs> reminded me a little bit of the movie back in the 80s called RoboCop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw that one too. Yeah, it was a good one for us older generation. True. But we are an AI company. You know, that is a really powerful statement, thinking big picture. I remember Goodyear over a century ago started off as a 
horseshoe company. It didn't focus though just on horseshoes. It focused on being a transportation company and it's grown into now this huge company. But I really like that statement that you articulated from Tesla. We are an AI company because they're following then the big picture and moving towards that goal. Absolutely. So the user interface is the point at which we, these humans, interact with a computer, a website, or an application. The goal of Effective UI is to make the user's experience as easy and intuitive as possible. You mentioned that customers only give an app less than 30 seconds before deciding on whether to use it. How important are elegantly designed user interfaces to a company's evolution or to their survival in the future? Well, you know, today we live in a world of zero tolerance for digital inconvenience. And some people think that I'm exaggerating when I'm saying that. But then indeed, I ask them, how many chances do you give a new app? And 95% says one, and that one chance lasts 30 seconds. So we are not willing to waste our time, which is our scarcest resource. We're not willing to waste our time to figure out how something works. And that is something that is still being underestimated by many, many organizations. And the crazy thing is, in the past 10 years, between 2010 and 2020, if you were the most most convenient player in the market, you could win. It's how companies like Amazon grew rapidly. It's how organizations like Uber became successful because they completely reinvented the level of convenience. Today, we're almost 2022 and convenience has become a commodity, which means that if you have it, if you have great convenience, that people will find it the most natural thing in the world. If you don't have it, it's the reason why you could go out of business. So the differentiator has become the norm. And that's why I I urge everyone who's listening to, to become some sort of a friction hunter of their own organization. You know that I play with this term where I really invite companies to look for very small frictions in all their interfaces, in all the touch points that they have with their users, and then remove those frictions one by one, not to win the game, but to stay in business. It's crucial. So there are many forms of UI, including touch, voice. What is an example of a completely different and very effective user interface? You know, my future view of user interfaces are invisible interfaces. Things that just happen automatically because the machine knows that it needs to happen and we're not even aware of it. And you already see some small examples of that, like paying your Uber driver is exactly that. You get on your destination, you thank the driver, you get out of the car, and by the time you've closed the door of that that car, you've paid and you didn't do anything. That's for me the dream interface. You don't have to say, pay the driver. You don't have to click on a button. Okay, I want to pay the driver. It just happens automatically with an invisible interface. And I think we're going to see much more of that in the next couple of years. You know, the examples are obvious. We talked about them for a very long time. You know, a fridge that knows when you need milk, a printer that knows when you're out of cartridges, you're an espresso machine that orders for you, your central heating system that is about to go down, but it call someone to fix it before you even know that there's a problem. Those will be the game-changing interfaces where it's invisible and proactive, fully personalized. And because of that, the effort of the user is being reduced close to zero. I think that will be the future. This is such great information. Before we continue, listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe to InsureTalk on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, this is Laura Drabeck, and let's get back to our conversation. I'm talking with Stephen 
Van Bellaham, global thought leader in the field of customer experience. Stephen, in the past, organizations have had to choose between delivering operational excellence or customer intimacy. You mentioned smart companies don't have to choose anymore if they use digital in a good way to help them become more efficient and if they use humans in a good way to help them become more customer-centric. Can you elaborate on this and describe the new customer relationship that is created by doing this correctly? Sure. You know, traditional strategic sessions were about indeed choosing between operational excellence and customer intimacy, or even a third one, product leadership. Now, more and more, you're, you're starting to see that product leadership becomes really, really hard. So most organizations that I know, they chose between operational excellence and customer intimacy. Thanks to the possibilities of, of digital and automation, I think we can actually now combine the two. And what you need to do is combine the strengths of digital with the strengths of humans. And digital interfaces, automation, it improves improves efficiency. It makes the process faster, slimmer, more efficient. And because of that, you can play the operational excellence game. That's what digital can do. On the other hand, you have your humans. I have this strong belief that the more digital the world will become, the more important and the more valuable human interfaces will be. This is based on the law of scarcity. If something becomes scarce, it actually increases in value. Now, now the human part is decreasing rapidly in frequency in the business world. But because of that, the moment that you get help from from a human, it's actually some sort of a premium experience these days because it hardly ever happens again. So if you know that, then the question is, okay, what do our humans need to do in such a world? And I think humans need to excel in those fields where computers are not good at. And those are the more emotional aspects of the relationship. Empathy, passion, enthusiasm, creativity. You are a fan of Disney and in particular the movie Inside Out. I am. One of my nine-year-old's favorite movies. How do you use this movie to describe what a customer relationship should look like? Well, it's a brilliant movie. So if people haven't seen it, this is their homework for the weekend because it, it learns you so much about customers. Because if you watch the film, you follow the emotions of a teenage girl that moves to a new city. She moves to San Francisco and in the beginning, it's all really good. But then the problems start in her mind. And the person who programmed us, who programmed our brain, made a huge mistake. We have five emotions and four of them are negative. We only have joy as a positive one. And then we have sadness, we have anger, we have disgust, and we have fear. That's why your customers complain so much. 80% of their emotions are negative. They can't help it. It's how we were programmed. Now, if you know this, you can actually use that in the whole discussion that we just had about operational excellence and customer intimacy. If you do your digital part right and you focus on operational excellence, the consequence is that you will neutralize the negative emotions of people. They won't be frustrated with you. And by doing so, you create time and space for joy, the human part, to create a more emotional bond. And those two, they work closely together. And some people then tell me, oh, Stephen, this is great news. We have the humans. We'll do digital in 2030 when we have budget again. Okay. But that's not how it works. Because if you don't have great digital interfaces, the consequence then is that your humans have to fix those problems. And then there's no time and space anymore to do the more emotional bonding. So neutralizing the negative emotions thanks to great digital interfaces creates the opportunity for joy, the humans, to make a difference. And that's how I use the Disney movie, Laura. I like to use that as a metaphor. So digital transformation and human transformation need to happen at the same time. How can organizations successfully do both, Stephen? 
it's a challenge. What I see now is that there's an enormous amount of focus on the digital transformation, which makes sense. And with COVID, we had this big digital jump forward. It was like we're catapulted into the future. So it makes sense that people spend more time on that. But we tend to forget the impact that it has on the human part. The consequence of the digital transformation is the human transformation. And they happen at the same time. Now, how to deal with this is you really need to focus on the strengths of both. You need to understand, okay, digital is about efficiency. It's about automation, making life easier, and so on and so on. So we're going to make sure that we completely focus on those core strengths. But at the same time, we're also going to focus on the core strengths of humans, the empathy, the passion, the creativity. And we're going to make sure that people know that this is a skill set that will increase in importance. And we're also going to spend time and energy on that. So it's a double track. They're not sequential. They happen at the same time. You believe there will be a shift from AI, artificial intelligence, to IA, intelligence augmented, where we will use technology to boost the power of our employees. You use KLM as an excellent example of a company doing this well. Could you elaborate? Yes. You know, many people believe that because of automation, we're going to replace humans by robots. And maybe we will, but I'm certain that the bigger benefit will be to augment the potential of humans thanks to AI. And that's what I call intelligence augmented. And what KLM does is in the field of customer service, they use behind the scenes software that dives into the customer service data and they translate that data into a mathematical model. And then a question from a customer comes in, like for instance, can you rebook my flight? And then the machine looks to the data from the past to suggest an answer for that human. But the answer doesn't go directly to the human. The answer goes to a service agent, someone who works in the contact center. And they see what the computer is proposing, but then they can play with it. They can personalize it. They can change the tone of voice a little bit, add some human touch to it and then they send it. But because of the computer-aided system, KLM can now answer more questions per hour than any other European airline can in a more personalized way. And the cool thing is that the competitors, they're like, how does KLM do this? And then the customers, they're like, wow, KLM must have better people than Lufthansa. This is wonderful. But Lufthansa and KLM, they have the same kind of people. They're both great. But the KLM people get the support from technology. And that's where we're going to see, I think, the first real benefits of artificial intelligence where you use it to boost the power of humans. It's like when you go to a hotel. I travel a lot and very often I go to the same hotels over and over again. Then I check in and then they ask me, hey, Mr. Van Belleghem, is this your first time here? It's a very kind question, but it's a question you should never ask. You should know that. Especially if you've been there six times, you're like, no, this is not my first time. It's actually my seventh time here. And you cannot expect that human to know that. I mean, they, they see so many new faces or they just started in the job, but you can expect the hotel tell to make sure that they at least have that piece of data available so that they can say, oh, Stephen, great to have you back. Welcome. Or, hey, Stephen, this is your first time. How can we help you to get to know the hotel? There's so many situations that I can imagine where a human could get support by a machine that it would be a pity not to look into this in, in your organization. Stephen, will people ever fully trust the algorithms? Of course, there is no doubt about that. I know a lot of people think, no, I will not trust an algorithm. But the truth is that most of them are probably actually trusting an 
algorithm while they're listening to this. Take GPS systems, navigation software. I mean, I, I still remember that I had my first navigation system in 2001, and it had like a hit rate of 50%. Only half of the time I arrived at the destination. So a human back then had a higher hit rate. So if we were driving, me and my wife, and the machine said it's straight ahead, but my wife said, no, 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 Stephen, it's a right turn here. I listened to my wife because she had a bigger hit rate than my machine. Now, if you use Waze, you have a 99.99 hit rate. So you get everywhere. We trust that fully because it works for 99.99%. If it only works for 90% or 95, then we do not trust an algorithm because then we know that something may go wrong and we look for a human safety net. But the moment that it really works, then we trust it and we don't think that we're using an algorithm anymore. It's just something that we use and it's so common that we think it's part of our lives. So once it works and it really works, we will absolutely trust it. We need to take another break. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to review more of my thought leadership, please see evangelist.guidewire.com. Now let's get back to our conversation with Stephen. So Stephen, what is one thing organizations should never do because it erodes the customer experience? Oh, there's so many things, uh, but mainly to summarize, it's, it's an over-focus on internal procedures. It's an over-focus on statistics. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of measuring customer satisfaction and that promoter scores, but there are too many organizations that only focus on that and then you're dehumanizing your customer. And I think that's the most dangerous thing you can do. I think the challenge is for most organizations to get as close as possible to your customer the real human, and make sure that as many of your employees, of your coworkers as possible, get direct feedback from customers because it increases the empathy. And if you only rely on statistics, then you are decreasing your empathy level in your organization. And, and, and I think empathy is going to be the most important skill to, to win in the next decade. On the flip side, how about one thing that is mandatory for delivering a differentiating customer experience? The, the most important thing here is to make sure that all your employees know how they can contribute to the success of customer happiness. There, there's still too many organizations that believe that it's only the frontline staff that can make customers happy. It's not. It's, it's a team effort. Everyone plays a role. Uh, people who pick up the phone, people who do the invoicing, everyone who's working behind the scenes eventually has a contribution to customer happiness. And I think as a leader, you need to look your coworkers and your team in the eyes and really tell them how they contribute. And the moment that they understand that, they're going to look completely different to their company and their business. I don't believe in the concept of internal clients. It doesn't work. There's only one client and it's the end client. And if you keep everyone focused on that end client and make sure they are part of that journey, then your success rate will be higher. I couldn't agree with you more. Customer happiness is a company effort. So you are the author of multiple international best-selling books, including, let me brag on you, please, The Conversation <laughs> Manager, When Digital Becomes Human, Customers the Day After Tomorrow, The Offer You Can't Refuse, and a technology thriller called Eternal. Which one is your favorite and why? That's a terrible question that you're asking me. That's <laughs> like letting me choose between my children, Laura. That I cannot possibly choose because they each have their own story. Like, my first book, Conversation Manager, it, it was a jump in the deep end. And I was hoping that some people would read it. And it became a hit in many European markets. And I was so happy with that result. And when digital becomes human, that was 
the first book that I wrote without being part of a, of a bigger organization. I did it yeah, between brackets on my own and people loved it. So it was fun as well. And now the offer you can't refuse, I wrote it and, and launched it during the lockdown. So this was very intense to see what would happen. And, and until now, I'm very fortunate that all my books did really well. And, and they have their own story, like, like the technology thriller that, that I wrote, Eternal, unfortunately only available in Dutch for now. That was like a side project, a hobby, but I had so much fun doing it. So every time when I launch something new, I'm still so nervous to see what the market will, will, will say. So it's, it's fun doing this. I'm very thankful that I can do all this. Well, I have to say that I also love all of your books and I would like to get my hands on Eternal when you do release it in English. Uh, definitely. I will send you a copy as soon as I have it. Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. As a global thought leader and best-selling author, you have shown us it's not just about ideas. It's about making ideas happen. Thank you for having me, Laura. Always a pleasure to talk to you. This podcast is brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. Visit guidewire.com for more information.